Amen. All right, let's take our Bibles this morning. Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5 in your Bibles this morning. A couple of weeks ago, I was speaking at a Christian camp out in upstate New York, just inside of the Adirondack National Park there in northern New York. Uh, I was able to take my family with me, and uh, I preached each night to those who came out to the meetings, and it was a very rustic camp, and um, it was a unique week. Uh, Ian and his friend, he made a friend while he was there, and they caught like a hundred frogs around the edges of the lake. At one point, they had about 30 frogs in the cabin to show Cindy. Like, you know, look, Mom, look, 30 frogs, 35 frogs. You can imagine what the response was. Oh, these are wonderful. Put them right here on the kitchen table. Yeah. <clears throat> anyway, it was a unique week uh, in many ways, but it was a week where God worked in, I think, all of our lives in different ways. Uh, one of the things that happened at the end of the week has influenced me greatly uh, for the message this morning. Uh, of course, we took some time a few weeks ago, and we were looking here at the end of chapter 5, and we, we looked and spent some time really studying what it meant for a wife to submit herself to her own husband and uh, revere him. And then we looked at, uh, for the husband, how the husband is to love his wife sacrificially. And uh, really, uh, love, sacrificial love, love requires sacrifice. And uh, love that it does not involve sacrifice, is not biblical sacrificial love. And, um, and, and I emphasize the needs that a, that a husband has to be revered and respected. And, uh, and I, I think I use the words, if you want to crush your husband, don't respect him, don't follow him, don't, uh, don't revere him. But of course, we also thought about, well, how do you respect a man who's not respectable? And how do you respect a husband who's not respectable? And you remember, I made the distinction, it's very important, that a wife is to submit herself to her own husband as unto the Lord. Um, not, not requiring that the husband even be godly, but she is submitting herself to the position of authority that God has ordained. And we looked at the husband and, uh, and how a wife has a need, a God-given need, uh, to be led and protected and provided for. And this is all part of God's plan. He planned it this way. And a uh, husband is to love his wife sacrificially. So she's supposed to submit herself to him. He's supposed to love her and put her needs before his needs and his desires and his wants. And when a husband and wife both fulfill their roles, there's this beautiful, you remember, unity. Beautiful unity. Harmony. And I, I use the illustration, it'd be possible to unite a cat and dog by tying their tails together and throwing them over the clothesline. You'd have unity, but you wouldn't have harmony. You wouldn't have, uh, you'd have a union, I should say, but you wouldn't have unity. You'd have a union. And uh, some marriages are like that. Uh, you're still married legally before the law, but you're, you're united, uh, you're not united, you're just, you have a union, but you're not, you don't have any unity in your marriage. At the end of that week in New York, 
on Friday night, they had ice cream for all the, all the people and who had come to the meeting that night, and, and we were standing around talking to uh, different people. And uh, a man, a, a, a fellow who's a postman, works for the United States Post Office out in New York, he came up to me, and uh, he said, could we talk privately for a little while? And we went aside. And then he shared with me how he and his wife had been married for, I think it was just over 30 years, but a couple of years ago that she left him and they are divorced. And uh, he talked about how they had been members of a local church. And he talked about how they had been involved in different ministries. He was quite a meek fellow, quite soft-spoken. And he talked to me about their children. I think he had three children and he wanted me. He wanted me to give. He wanted to give me his name and his number. And I've texted him a couple of times. And and he's asked me to pray for him, that God would restore his marriage. She's not remarried yet. Uh, he's not remarried. And uh, his eldest daughter, I think, who's 27 years old, had played a big part in the divorce, and uh, hates her father to this day, and is doing everything she can to keep her mother and her father from being reunited in marriage. And I asked him, I said, Can you, do, do you mind me asking how this happened? And, and I got to tell you, as he was telling me what had happened in his life and where he was at, I had this tremendous sense of fear in my heart. And I thought to myself, I wonder, I wonder who in the church that I pastor, what marriage that I preach to every week, I wonder which marriage in the church I pastor is headed the direction where this man and his wife are at today. And I was actually had a bit of a hard time concentrating on what he was saying for a few minutes because I was concerned about you. And I was thinking in my mind, is there anything that could be done to stop this from happening? And then I was reminded of the series that we're going through in the book of Ephesians and how God, under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, gave this message to Paul And the Apostle Paul gave it to the church at Ephesus, and I've been preaching it to you. And I thought to myself, the answer for marriages is for God's people to follow God's word and fulfill God's plan for the roles of a husband and wife and to have beautiful harmony and unity. The man, as he talked to me that that night, actually said that, he said there was no adultery, there was no fornication of any kind, they're not involved in those sort of things. And as best as I know, I think he was being honest with me. And I said, do you mind me asking how this happened? And he said, you know what, we just grew apart. And I did not love her. He said, I took her for granted. And there came a point after 30 years where she just said, you know what, I've had enough. And with encouragement from her eldest daughter. And so they got a divorce. And now they're separated. I want you to look at our passage, and this will be the last message, Lord willing, on this passage before we move on to chapter 6. But I want you to look again at verse 21. And with that introduction in mind, I want to preach this passage. We've already preached through it, but I want to emphasize one particular point um, because I was concerned as I spoke, as I've preached on it twice already, while it's not wrong to emphasize the needs of the wife and the needs of the husband, it would be terribly wrong for you and for me as husbands and wives in this room 
to glean only from those messages my need as a man and as a husband. If that's all we've gleaned, or all you as a, as a wife glean is, well, these are my needs, and my husband is not meeting my needs, you've missed the whole point of the passage. Because look at verse 21, the beginning part, he says, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. In other words, knowing that you are going to stand before God, you need to place the needs, you need to submit to the needs of your spouse. And the, and the blatant emphasis of this passage is not on the needs of the reader. It is what we should do to meet the needs of our spouse. Look at verse 21, or 22. He says, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Verse 24, therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you that it is rich in doctrine. It is theology. But Father, it is so very, very practical for our everyday lives. And Father, you give us these glorious truths about you. You reveal yourself to us, and you reveal ourselves to us, and you show us the way that we ought to go. And Father, we are gathered here this morning cloaked in sinful flesh. Hearts that are prone to wander away from you, down a path of destruction, And Father, I pray this morning that as as I preach your word, I pray that it would come forth in the power of your spirit. I pray that you would mend hearts and heal marriages. I pray that you would inoculate marriages so that they do not end in destruction. But Father, I pray that you would use us and make marriages that are a part of this church healthy and wholesome and god Godly, Lord. Make them godly. Father, that others may be able to, as they, as they see our marriages, Father, may they see what you intended and what you have planned. Father, use your word today, I pray, in our hearts. I ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Now, I want you to keep in mind, before we look at one particular truth this morning from the passage, I want you to keep in mind 
what we've been reminded of and been commanded to do in chapter 5. He's told us in verse 2 to walk in love. Uh, Later on, he tells us that we're to walk in light at the end of verse number 8. Down in verse 15, he tells us to walk circumspectly. And, And the word walk is he's talking about the way that we live our lives. And all of that kind of culminates where he tells us in verse number 18 to be filled with the Spirit. It's impossible to walk in love or to walk in the light or to walk wisely without being under the control and without being submitted to the leadership of the Holy Spirit of God in our lives. And you remember he told us that if we will walk in the Spirit or be filled with the Spirit in verse 18, if we will be controlled by the Spirit of God, then it will produce joy. We talked about that in verse number 19. In verse number 20, it will produce a thankful heart uh, for all things. A thankful heart for all things. And we, we spoke about that. And then in verse number 21, we saw that in the context of being filled with the Spirit, the third, pro, the third uh, reality that the Spirit of God, the filling of the Spirit of God produces is a submitting ourselves one to another in the fear of God. And it's in that context, it's in this context that he now talks about the, the relationship of a husband and a wife one to another. Nobody uh, knows how, uh, nobody can fully comprehend, I don't believe, or fully appreciate the institution of marriage without contemplating God's plan for marriage. And that's what we've been seeing in this passage. And God's word tells us God's plan, and and God's word tells us his intention for marriage. We won't take the time to go there, but back in Genesis chapter 2, God tells us that he created marriage for companionship and for help. My wife is my dearest companion. I love being with her. When we traveled as representatives for a Christian college, we were together pretty much 24-7 for two years. And I can remember some friends, they they would say, don't you have any me time? Like, you need to get some of your me time. And, you know, we had one van, a a really great ride, an Astro van, and a lot of equipment and the two of us. And we traveled from Maine to South Florida to the Mississippi River and all over the place, 100,000 miles in two years, just the two of us, almost a different hotel every night, two Christian schools a day, churches on, two churches on Sunday, one on Wednesday, and a lot of kids and people in between, but it was just the two of us every night working together every day, and there wasn't a whole lot of me time. And i got to tell you, we grew very, very close together during those two years. I love going home. I love being with my wife. Companionship is part of why God created marriage. Um, Unity, to be united, one flesh. Again, in Genesis 2 and verse 24, in in fact, in this passage in in chapter 5, he, he references this in verse 31. He says, For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife, And they too shall be one flesh. And the Apostle Paul was quoting from Genesis chapter 2. God's intention for marriage. That a husband and wife would be one. They would be one. United. They'd be joined together. 
A third purpose that the Bible tells us a reason for God having a husband and wife joined together is to have kids. He told Noah in Genesis chapter 9 to be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. And if, you're, if God's given you the, the ability to have children, you ought to have kids. Have as many as you can. I told that to a young couple not long ago. I said, you all ought to have as many kids as you can. And he kind of looked at me like, what? Did you just say that? Yeah, the Bible says it. Be fruitful and multiply. You know what? If he only blesses you with one, that's fine. If he blesses you with two, that's great. If he blesses you with three or four or five or six, they make big vehicles. I know it's not popular today. Be fruitful and multiply. You know that parenting is a selfless, a bit of a thankless job. Anybody, any of us who have been parents know that. How often do your kids come up to you and say, Mom and Dad, thank you so much for what you do. And they begin to name what you do. They don't know what you do. They don't know what we do. It, it requires selflessness, setting aside. You know, I, I used to tease Cindy, you know, after Ian was born, our first child was born, I used to say, you know what, I get nothing anymore. You know, I mean, you're all about him, and here I am. Woohoo! I'm over here, you know. What about me? I, that used to be me. I used to get all the attention. Then Tori came along, and there was less, and then Olivia, and a little bit less, and then Will, and I'm like, nothing anymore, you know. And Will does it on purpose. I've told you before that we'll play ping pong, Will and I will play ping pong, and he'll be like, well, let's go to six, Dad. The winner gets a kiss from Mom. She's like the fair maiden, you know. You'll win a kiss from the fair maiden. And then, you know, the one time he did beat me, uh, you know, he like looked at me and ran over to mom and was looking at me while he was kissing my wife, you know. It's terrible. So it, children, it, you have to be selfless to have kids. So to have children. But what I want to emphasize and what we see in our passage is the fourth reason that God gives us for, for marriage, and that is serving one another's needs. Serving one another's needs. Meeting one another's needs. I, I think it's so sad, but it happens so often. And you, you've probably experienced this, but within your home, your family, sometimes those that are closest to us get the leftovers. You know what I mean? We treat our coworkers, sadly, many times people treat their coworkers better than they do their family. You, you treat your friends' kids better than you treat your own kids. You treat other people, your friends or your neighbors, better than you treat your spouse. Sometimes that happens within a church family, too. We kind of have the attitude of, get with it. What's wrong with you? With our church family. And what we ought to do is look around and realize that every single soul in this auditorium is an individual that God has given us the opportunity to serve and minister to and to help meet needs. And instead of looking around and seeing people with needs that we can serve and meet and, and allow God to use us to encourage, we tend to look around at those that are closest to us and have the attitude of, you know, you ought to just step it up and get with it. I don't know why you're still acting that way. And oftentimes we give more grace and more mercy to those that we do not know than the people that we do know. And that's especially true when it comes to marriage. And it, we, 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 what we need to be able to do is we need to be able to look at husbands and wives. We need to be able to look at our spouse 
And understand, they came from a different background. They're an individual. They have flesh. They're tempted to do evil. Satan is out to destroy them. They need to be encouraged. There are, and, every, and every person is different. You know, I, I was I kind of, it dawned on me this week as I was studying this passage, you know, where Peter says to the husbands, dwell with them, your wives, according to knowledge. And I thought that was interesting. You know, I've always thought that was interesting the way he said that. And it dawned on me, you know, well, he had to say it that way because they're all different. Wives are all different. Now, there's all, they all require and need and have some needs that are very clearly defined, but every wife is different. My wife, there are certain needs that she has that I need to, there's a language that she speaks that I need to understand so I can meet her needs. You know. um, and I, I, I was tempted to name wives, other wives in this room. I'm not going to do that. But you know what? Your wife is probably different than my wife. And, and your wife is going to have different needs. And so every husband needs to dwell with their wife according to knowledge. Look at verse 21 again. He says, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Now, what kind of submission is Paul talking about in verse 21? The husband is to submit to the needs of his wife. And the wife is to submit to the needs of her husband. He's not talking about the roles in verse 21. He's talking about submitting yourselves one to another, putting the needs of the other person before your own needs. And I could ask the question, do you know the needs of your your spouse? I didn't say the wants of your spouse. And be careful if any of us go down this path of, yeah, my needs aren't being met. Then you're misunderstanding the passage. He doesn't know my needs. Or she doesn't know my needs. She's not meeting my needs. You misunderstand the passage. That's not Christ-like. But the reality is there are needs. And and we need to know what the the needs of our spouse are. What God says they need. And are you committed to meeting their God-given needs? You know that I ought to be aware of of and focused on meeting the needs of Cindy? In Philippians chapter 2 and verse 1, Paul wrote, If there be therefore any, and I'm going to summarize it, If there be therefore any comfort of love in lowliness of mind, if, if, if it's possible to to be comforted by the Spirit in love, then in lowliness of mind, I ought to humble myself and I ought to esteem, esteem other better than themselves. And I ought to look not, I ought to look, uh, look not every man on his own things, but every man also in the things of others. And, and, and this very week, and I told this to Pastor Toman one particular day, uh, he came in my office and that particular morning I had been convicted of something and, and it had to do with my staff, and I literally prayed out loud to the Lord, Lord, would you help me to esteem my staff to be better than myself? And their needs to be greater than my needs. And that ought to be true for my marriage, too. I ought to think more highly of my wife than I do myself. You ought to think more highly of your spouse than you do yourself. And you ought to put their needs above your needs. It's interesting that in this passage, God avoids mentioning the needs of the reader. God doesn't say, wives, you need to be loved sacrificially and you need to be cherished. 
doesn't say that he doesn't say it that way. God doesn't say to the husbands, you need to be submitted to and respected and revered. He doesn't say that. Now we can understand those truths from those passages. We glean that knowledge, but God emphasizes his emphasis is not on what we need, but what we need to give to the other. You know that 80% one one statistician gave the number. He said 80% of all books purchased in Christian bookstores are purchased by women. And the vast majority of these books appeal to the rights and the needs of the readers. Some titles of some of these marriage books, one is, quote, How to Be Happy Though Married. How to be happy even though you're married. <laughs> uh, another one was, What Wives Wish Their Husbands Knew About Women. And how many of you think a lot of men bought that? How many of you think a lot of ladies bought that? A lot of ladies bought that. Why would a wife buy a book that's all about her needs, what her husband should know about her? Now, if you read that book, please, I'm not preaching at you, okay? I'm not looking at anybody. I don't know if you, read, if you bought that book. Another book is What Husbands Wish Their Wives Knew About Men. And most, mostly men bought that book. But you see, these kind of books encourage us to dwell on our needs, But that's not what God does. And those sort of books, they sell because they emphasize the needs and wants of the reader. You know, it, it is. It's kind of nice. You know, you tell me how wonderful I am and tell me how the, person, the people around me don't appreciate me uh, the, the, way that they, the way that they should and how important I am. You know, there's something about that that all of us would like. Write a book about us as individuals and tell us how great we are and how nobody appreciates us, how we really should be appreciated, and we'll buy those books. But the Bible doesn't emphasize what the reader deserves. It emphasizes what the reader should do. God doesn't encourage us to dwell on our needs, but rather to dwell on our responsibilities to meet the needs of our spouse. It's true that the teaching of, the teaching of rights, the teaching of rights breeds rebellion. And the teaching of responsibility breeds or brings revival. I want to look at two thoughts here this, this morning under this idea of submitting yourself to the needs of your spouse. To, to put yourself under the responsibility to meet the need of your spouse. Number one, the ministry of the wife is to submit to her own husband. The ministry of the wife is to submit to her own husband. You know, when we think about ministries, we think of choir, we think of maybe preaching and teaching, we think of uh, keeping the grounds, we think of all kinds of different ministries, okay? There's so many, whether it maybe it's working in the sound booth or whatever. There's so many things that can be done. Many times we do not look at our spouse as the ministry. Ma'am, you have a ministry, and it is one of your primary ministries to your husband. Your ministry is to submit yourself to your own husband. Look again at our text, verse 22. He writes, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ... So let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Now, we, we, we dealt with those verses 
uh, specifically, look down to verse number 33, the latter part, talking about the wife. It says, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. Now, the word submit means to obey. The word submit in the Bible means to subordinate, to come in under. It doesn't mean that she's less than. It doesn't mean that she's less intelligent. It doesn't mean that she's less knowledgeable. I mentioned before, and if you listened, if you were here for that message, you heard me talk about how valuable, the value that God places upon the wife. And how husbands ought to value their wives because they're valuable in the eyes of God. And we ought to look at and see our wives the way God sees our wife. We ought to value her the way that God values her. So this idea of submitting has nothing to do with one being less than the other. It's just very simply how God has laid it out. It means to submit oneself, to willingly place under. And ladies, no one can do this but you. This is your ministry. I can't make you do it. (laughs) Your husband can't make you do it. And sir, that is not your ministry. To force your wife into some sort of role. This is the ministry of the wife. And you ought to look at it as a ministry. I, I think some teachings about submission in marriage sometimes create contention and animosity. And, 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 and sadly, I think most people formulate their opinions about submitting based upon their experience. Some children grow up, and maybe you're one of them who've, who grew up in a home where you saw your mom used as a doormat by a loud, overbearing husband or, or their Uh, Or maybe you grew up in a household where your mom was overbearing and she was domineering and cracking the whip over her husband. Other people form their beliefs about submission upon popular teachings and fads and philosophies and cultural trends and even feminism. It really doesn't matter where the anti-submission beliefs come from, but wherever they are embraced, they produce rebellious children... They encourage homosexuality. They destroy God's plan for harmony in the home. They discourage male initiative and they encourage laziness in husbands and sometimes even drive husbands away. Proverbs 21 verse 9 says, It is better to dwell in the corner of a housetop than with a brawling woman in a wide house. Many women and men, I think, view this teaching of submission as chauvinistic and self-serving. Maybe that's where you're at this morning. You say, well, Pastor Ferguson, it sure is convenient for you, a man, to be able to preach on submission. Actually, it's not that convenient for me to preach on submission. You know, sometimes this truth is, is, is mistaught. Some teach that a wife should obey her husband even if what he's saying to do is sinful, and I disagree you know that we're to obey government. Government is ordained of God, and I'm just using this as an illustration. But we're to obey government unless they tell us to disobey God. There was a time in the, in the country of China where the government was mandating that women could only have one child. 
And now, I don't know what it is now, then it became two children. But then they were still regulating that if you uh, conceived a child and it was a, a female, it would be aborted, but the male would be allowed to live. Should a wife, should a mother in China submit herself to the governmental authority and let them take the life of the child within her womb? Yes or no? No. Why? Because ought we not, ought we rather not obey God? Should we not obey God rather than men? Peter talked about that in the, in the, in the book of Acts. In fact, in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 13, Peter wrote this, Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. You know that it brings glory to God when you and I submit ourselves to the government that God has placed over us. God is glorified when you and I uh, are not out rioting and picketing and, and, and causing disturbances in society. When we dwell and live peaceably with all men, it brings honor and glory to God. But when the magistrates in Jerusalem had forbidden Peter to, to obey the Lord Jesus Christ and to preach the gospel, Peter responded by saying, quote, we ought, uh, we ought to obey God rather than men. In Acts chapter 5, Peter understood that all human authority is given by God, and the highest authority is God and his word. And according to the Bible, a wife should submit herself to her own husband in every case, except where a clear violation of scripture is found. A husband should never flaunt his authority or abuse power by heavy-handed demands that violate either the letter or the spirit of the word of God. Wives... I want you to remember that the basic purpose of a husband is to lead. His basic need is to be followed. And you have a powerful ministry to your husband. You have a powerful ministry to your husband. I do not have time, but throughout our marriage now, and we celebrated our 16-year anniversary this past Friday. 16 years. We're getting older. 16 years. I can still remember bringing her back to visit Trinity Baptist Church for the very first time when we were dating I can still remember what she wore that day. I remember going around introducing her to all the people that I knew and loved at Trinity Baptist Church. I remember Scott Pagan. I remember some of the comments you made, too. (laughs) That was like 18 years ago. Yeah. That's another sermon. (laughs) Now, I want to answer a couple questions before we move on. Why should a wife, why should you as a wife submit to your husband? Okay? Why should you as a wife submit to your husband? Number one, because God commands it. You see it in the passage in verse 22, the beginning part. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. In verse number 33, the latter part, he says, uh, the wife see, see that she reverence her husband. Ladies, wives, submitting to your own husband is a choice. It's a choice. It's your ministry, and you can choose not to have that ministry. I'll tell you, my wife has had a tremendous ministry and influence in my life by how she submitted to me. How many of you think that I always deserve to be submitted to by my wife? There have been, there have been times where I've read this passage and I've thought to myself, I felt, I, there have been times where I've felt sorry for Cindy having to be under my leadership and my authority. I should be a better husband. I should make wiser decisions. She is in a tough spot. And I think that's somewhat true for every single wife. It's a difficult ministry. 
So submitting to your own husband is a choice, but if you want to please God, it's not an option. God isn't giving a suggestion here. Don't look at these as suggestions by God. They're commands, and if for no other reason you should submit to yourself, to your own husband, because God has told you to do it. Obedience brings God's blessing. Disobedience always has negative consequences, and it doesn't please God. Jesus said in John 14, verse 15, If ye love me, keep my commandments. And I could ask you the question, ma'am, do you love God? Because if you do, you must obey his word. There's a second reason why a wife should submit herself to her own husband, and that is because it's an act of faith. It's an act of faith. At the end of verse number 22, uh, he says how a wife is to submit herself, or, or really the reason why she should submit herself to her own husband, and that is as unto the Lord. Faith is taking God at his word. Submitting yourself to your own husband expresses that you trust God. I want you to leave Ephesians for just a few minutes. I want you to look over to 1 Peter, okay? And I want you to see this with your own eyes. 1 Peter chapter 2. In fact, go to chapter 3 first. 1 Peter chapter 3. And I'm going to read from verse number 5. And I want you to see an illustration here. And I want you to notice what these ladies are called. By God. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse number 5. It says this, For after this manner, in the, old, in, in the old time, the holy women, so that'd be something to strive for, the holy, uh, the holy women also, who trusted in God, adorned themselves, being in subjection unto their own husbands. Holy women, God calls them, who trusted God, put themselves in subjection to their own husbands. You say, but I'm a Sunday school teacher. I'm serving God there. I'm a choir member. I've been faithful. Pastor, I give. Pastor, I I do this, or I do this, and I do these things. And pastor, you have no idea what a hard worker I am. Pastor, I sing. I have a beautiful voice, and I sing. God identifies these women as holy women who are in subjection to their own husbands. Now, I have a question. Do you think that it was easier for them to subject themselves to the leadership of their own husbands any more than it is for you to follow the leadership of your husband? And I dare say no. They willingly did it. And God identifies them as holy women trusting God. And the expression of their faith in God was seen that they were submitting to their own husbands. You know, the opposite of this is also true. A wife who will not submit herself to her own husband is not trusting God. You see, the issue of submission is not the character of the husband, but the position of the husband that God has duly appointed. I want to t- I'm going I'm to give a qualifier here. Men, some of us have made it incredibly hard for our wives to submit to our authority. Some of us have not ministered to the needs of our wives and have not made her ministry easy for her. We have made it very, very difficult. And we are wrong when we do. 
But the issue of submission for a wife is not based upon the character of the husband, but the position that God has given the husband. You see, it is not the purity of his character, but the perfection of his position. And when a wife submits through God's appointed authority, she shows that she's trusting God. She's trusting the appointer of the authority. And God wants you, ma'am, to trust him. God isn't telling you to trust in your husband. God wants you to trust him. God, through your husband. And, and I think Christ is an extreme example of this, by the way. And, and if you're struggling with what I'm telling you, and you're saying, Seth, you have no idea, uh, Christ did have an idea. And I want you to think about his example for just a moment. Do you remember when Jesus Christ had been betrayed by Judas Iscariot with a kiss at the Garden of Gethsemane? He'd been led away, and throughout that night he was wrongfully tried and paraded around and all of those sort of things. Do you remember that? And he would be crucified the very next day. Well, that particular, uh, during that time period, Jesus Christ had to stand before Pilate. Um, and, and I want you to notice that Jesus didn't put his trust in Pilate to do the right thing. But Jesus Christ did trust his father and his father's will to be accomplished through Pilate. When, when Christ submitted to the authority of Pilate, it wasn't because Pilate had strong character. It wasn't because Pilate had discernment or he was a spiritual leader. Jesus Christ's trust wasn't in Pilate, but it was through Pilate to his father, to God. And when Pilate, you remember, became frustrated with Jesus for not answering his question, Pilate arrogantly made this statement. Pilate, uh, it says this in John 19, verse 10, Then saith Pilate unto him, uh, Jesus, speakest thou not unto me? Knowest thou not that I have the power to crucify thee and have the power to release thee? Can you imagine this? Pilate saying this to the creator of the heavens and the earth. Don't you understand that I can put you to death or I can release you? I don't think Jesus was too impressed because he knew where Pilate's authority came from. And in the very next verse, in the beginning of verse 11, Jesus answered and said, Thou couldest have no power at all against me except it were given thee from above. And you know, ladies, you probably could say the same thing. You have no authority over me as your wife, except God gave it to you. And the reality is, when I look at Jesus Christ in this example, the Bible is clear. Christ's submission to Pilate wasn't an expression of trust in Pilate. But it was an expression of trust through Pilate, his authority to God. Now look back to 1 Peter chapter 2, because God tells a wife what to do when married to an ungodly husband. Look at this, 1 Peter chapter 2. Now I'm going to begin reading in verse number 21. 1 Peter 2, verse 21. And he's going to begin by reminding us of what I just reminded you of, of what Jesus Christ did. It says, For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us. I just talk to you about how Christ trusted his father through his God-given authority, Pilate, an ungodly man. Christ also suffered for us, in verse 21, leaving us an example 
that ye should follow his steps. Who did no sin. And maybe there's a wife here who'd say, I, I, I haven't been wrong in this. None of this is my fault. And it says here, who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. He committed, Christ committed himself to God. Ma'am, you need to do the same. Verse 24, who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. For ye were as sheep going astray, but are now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. Now, in this context of follow the example of Christ, look at what he says in verse 1 of chapter 3. This is the the context, ma'am. He says, likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands. And the word subjection there has the idea of a voluntary attitude of giving in and carrying a burden. Likewise, ye wives, just like Jesus Christ submitted to his God-given authority, ye wives be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, talking about the husband, if you're married to a disobedient husband who doesn't obey God, they also may, without the word, be won by the conversation, the manner of life of the wife. While they behold your chaste, your purity, your conversation, the way you're living, coupled with respect, with fear, who's adorning. That's what you're known for. Let it not be that outward adorning of the plating of the hair and of wearing of gold or of the putting on of apparel. But let it be the hidden man of the heart, who you are in the inside, wives. In that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek, that's emotions under control, and quiet spirit, that means not of many words, which is in the sight of God of great price. For after this manner, in the old time, the holy women also who trusted in God adorned themselves. They they dressed this way according to what we've just read, being in subjection unto their own husbands. See, I'm not pulling this out of context. This is what Christ and His Spirit teach us to do. See, the point of submission is to reveal the object of your trust. I'm going to say that again because that's for men and women. The point of submission is to reveal who you really trust. What do you do when you work for a guy who's a fool? Or you work for someone who doesn't know what to do, and you're stuck under his authority. You have to trust God. What do you do when you're a wife, and this is the immediate context, when you're married to a husband who is not a godly man, and you are reaping what he has sown? And you had nothing to do with it. You have to choose to trust God. That's the context. You see, God needs to be the object of your faith. Submitting through your husband is merely the expression that you trust God. And I cannot put into words how honored God is when a wife trusts God to work through her husband. 
Submission is not easy. It's often painful. And for Christ, it meant the cross. And it may mean that for you too. For many wives, submitting to their own husbands has meant intense suffering. The ultimate glory of a man is dying to self, saying no to self, and living for Christ, saying yes to the Holy Spirit of God. And in the context of this passage, that is my exhortation to you as a wife. Submit to your husband, because God has said to do it, and because you trust God, not because you trust your husband. Not because you're confident in your husband. And there may be some in this room, ladies, and you have an incredible husband who's responsible and respectable and he's admirable and you, you love him and adore him and maybe your adoration comes awfully close to worship and you're worshiping the wrong person. You need to submit yourself to your own husband because you revere and love God and you trust him. There's a third reason why a wife should submit herself to her own husband, and that's also in 1 Peter 3. And that's because you, as you obey God, ma'am, and submit yourself to your own husband, you exert powerful influence upon your husband. Look at 1 Peter 3 and verse 1 again. Likewise, ye, uh, likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the conversation of the wives. This is Maybe you have a husband who does not attend church, he does not read his Bible, he doesn't believe in God, but you know, you, based upon 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 1, you can win your husband as he looks and watches you and sees the Lord Jesus Christ in you. He may never read the Bible, but he is seeing the Bible lived out in you, in your home, Every day. You know, the world's approach is to nag. Proverbs 27, verse 15 says, A continual dropping in a very rainy day and a contentious wife are alike. The world's approach is to nag, but the quick, easy approach of nagging will have costly effects. God's way may take a long time, but it will have eternal results. And so... When you submit yourself to your own husband, you minister to his needs. God made him to lead. And your willingness to follow encourages him to lead. You're going to need a lot of patience. But if you will trust God to work through your husband, even in his failures, God will honor you. He will honor you, and I believe that with all my heart. Look at, secondly, you know what? I was hoping to get this all in this morning, and I'm not. I'm going to stop because if I just take two minutes on the husbands after I've taken all that time on the wife, that's not acceptable, is it, Sally? All right, all right. So I'll tell you what, let's, let's end, let's have a word of prayer. We'll, 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 we'll pray and we'll sing a song. And I'm going to sing the song, I want us to sing the song, I Surrender All. Because to submit to the needs of another means you surrender your will. Okay. And the emphasis of this week and next week is going to be submitting to the needs of your spouse and ministering and serving your spouse. Uh, let's all stand to our feet. We'll, we'll sing I Surrender All, page number 476. If you're coming for baptism, if you'd make your way back there and I'll meet you there. Um, and we'll pick up with the husbands next week and we'll finish this, this passage.